evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 283. And this evening we draw close. We are pretty much going to arrive at the doors of Moria, I hope, tonight. We'll see. We'll at least uh, get pretty, clo pretty close to them. Um, uh, but uh, looking forward to, as we continue to close the distance between us and the gates of Moria, it'll be fun to begin our exploration of Moria. But in the meantime, um, uh, a couple announcements before we begin. Um, uh, first, we have our final moot of the fall season coming up this very weekend on the 2nd of December in Nolens, Louisiana. We're having Bayou Moot, our first ever Bayou Moot, our first ever visit to Louisiana. Um, going to be great fun. Looking forward to that so much. So looking forward to seeing several of you there. Uh, and we're going to have a great time down in Nolens this weekend. And um, uh, that then we'll have a whole bunch of moots coming in the spring. In addition to the ones that we've had um, announced for a while, of course, we, we're looking at Ozmoot down in Sydney, Australia in January. We're looking at uh, Sunshine Moot in February back down in Orlando. Um, uh, but, and we're looking at Texmoot um, in, uh, in April. But we've also got a bunch of new ones that we, uh, uh, that we can announce now. Uh, we have, of course, our UK moot. We're going back to Europe for the first time since 2019, I think. Um, uh, our Europe moots have, uh, it's been the last thing we have not yet been able to do again since the pandemic, but we're going back. So we're going to be, um, we're going to be there. Um, we're going to be there. I'm, I'll be in, uh, we'll be in York, England for our UK moot. Um, in uh, at near the end of April, uh, the 27th of April. And then we're going to come back and where I'm going to be in, uh, where are we going to go? We're going to go to SoCal Moot. And then we're going to go to uh, back down in um, uh, Carlsbad, California. And then uh, we're going to be up in Alberta. Um, uh, we're going to be at the University of Alberta, Canada for Mountain Rose Moot. Uh, that's going to be in May. So we're going to have our second Canadian moot. Uh, we were in Toronto last year. We're going to be in Alberta this year, which is going to be beautiful. Um, so anyway, all sorts of things. An ardent uh, paintbrush. We don't exactly have plans for Buckeye moot, but we do have plans for a pretty awesome gathering in Ohio. Um, we're looking at September. More details to come soon about that. But there's going to be some local awesomeness in the state of Ohio this coming September. Um, uh, it's going to be so cool. Uh, anyway, so lots of stuff going on this uh, uh, this coming uh, this coming spring. Um, so we will um, we will see. There's also there's even been discussion I've been hearing lately about the possibilities um, we're looking to head back to uh, to the continent for Europe Moot 2025. That's already being planned from what I hear. We all kinds of things going on. Um, but um, anyway, lots of great, good Moot fun. But first, of course, coming up this very weekend, as I said, Bayou Moot, still time for you to join. Um, if you, of course, can come to Louisiana, you're still more than welcome to join us. Um, but of course, all of our moots are hybrid moots, and you're very welcome to join us online as well. And you can participate uh, in the discussion all day long. All right. So that and secondly, 
second announcement I want to make is, of course, remembering it's our fall fundraising campaign. Many thanks to everyone who has donated, not only uh, do many of you have regular monthly donations set up for which we are extremely grateful, but we've been getting uh, a bunch of, uh, of donations, of new donations here over the last couple weeks. Uh, very, very thankful to everyone who has been donating there. And, um, uh, and I am... Uh, I'd say I'm really grateful, always grateful for the people who donate so generously to support the work of Signum University. Um, if you have never had a chance to do so, uh, now would be, of course, today is Giving Tuesday, as it happens, still for another couple hours in the East Coast. Um, and uh, would definitely invite you to make a tax-free, uh, tax-deductible even, donation to Signum University um, to help support help support us as we continue to share joy in many different ways through different educational uh, uh, and other programs. Um, so lots of stuff going on. Um, and I'll have, I'll be talking about a special announcement uh, next week uh, for a fun event coming up at the end. Uh, our annual webathon is going to be happening, of course, at the end of our fundraising campaign on Saturday the 9th of December. But more on that next week. For now, I want to celebrate the campaign as I've been celebrating the campaign, and that is we're going to do another drawing. Ready? So we're going to do another drawing. Um, we've been doing these weekly drawings uh, for people who have been tuning into our broad to the broadcasts. Um, so everybody who filled out our little drawing form between last week and this week, we're going to do another drawing. Remember, the winner receives their choice of either a free ticket to a regional mood of your choice, uh, an anytime audit of any of our graduate uh, level courses that you want, or uh, a one month flight in our space program. All right. And the winner is. Uh, the winner is Joseph Jaskierny. Joseph Jaskierny is the winner. Congratulations, Joseph. All right. Um, we will be in touch, or you can email info at signumu.org, and we will connect you to your uh, uh, to your prize. All right. Um, and I will also say we're going to do an, another drawing again next week. Um, so go ahead and uh, fill out the form. It's okay. Doesn't matter how many times how many times you filled it out. You can fill it out again. Um, uh, this week, so between now and next Tuesday, and we will uh, we will enter you in next Tuesday's drawing. Both people who are here and people you know who people who are here synchronously and people who are here with us only asynchronously. Um, all right, so let's get back to the text, everybody. I just pasted in, by the way, the link to uh, the form, just so that everybody could get a chance to fill that out again. There you go. So don't be shy if you filled it out already. Fill it out before. It's every week. You can fill it out again every week. And then remember, you're going to be, you will be, if you fill out the form, you'll be entered into the grand prize drawing. The grand prize drawing, uh, the grand prize of which is the opportunity to cheat death uh, and to have a one-shot Exploring the Lord of the Rings session on the passage of the text of your choice that you're afraid you might not live to discuss. Um, uh, so, <laughs> so there we go. All right. Um, but let's get to tonight's passage of the text. 
which hopefully we'll all survive through. And that is our approach to the doors of Moria. The company were footsore and tired, but they trudged doggedly along the rough and winding track for many miles. The sun turned from the noon and began to go west. After a brief halt and a hasty meal, they went on again. Before them the mountains frowned, but their path lay in a deep trough of land, and they could see only the higher shoulders and the far eastward peaks. At length they came to a sharp bend. There the road, which had been veering southwards, between the brink of the channel and a steep fall of the land to the left, turned and went due east again. Rounding the corner they saw before them a low cliff, some five fathoms high, with a broken and jagged top. Over it a trickling water dripped, through a wide cleft that seemed to have been carved out by a fall that had once been strong and full. Indeed things have changed, said Gandalf, but there is no mistaking the place. There is all that remains of the stair falls. If I remember right, there was a flight of steps cut in the rock at their side, but the main road wound away left and climbed with several loops up to the level ground at the top. There used to be a shallow valley beyond the falls, right up to the walls of Moria, and the Saranan flowed through it with the road beside it. Let us go and see what things are like now. Okay. Um, Kendall, Bill may possibly be hoofsore, um, but, um, but I doubt it. I mean, he's Bill the Pony, for crying out loud. Um, okay, yeah, Dolores Drug, I agree. This is one of the... Um, one of the sections, you know, Dora Stroke was just saying I've never had a really great topography of this in my head. Um, and yeah, this this passage, I think, this is one of those passages um, that I almost never read closely on my own. Um, you know, it's just really easy to kind of skim, skim past it. Um, look at the... Look at the primary trends... I suppose, that I would point to. Remember last time we were noticing the, the, the sort of ominous and kind of vaguely terrifying idea of the land changing. The, this idea of the hostility of not just that like something has happened, right, um, and that the land has been changed, but this idea almost of a conspiracy. Remember the Red Rocks, right? And the connections to Karathras that we were discussing last time. I mean, we're talking about a company that just got attacked by a mountain. And now um, they were going through the... It looked like the, you know, the land was trying to hide the river from them. And they were wondering if you know, the river had been uh, uh, taken away and concealed completely. Um, so this... Uh, general sort of doubt and concern um, about the uh, about the the land about them um, we get you know we're sort of recalled to it right um, with Gandalf's words indeed things have changed right um, I think we can see a well actually before we get to Gandalf's words let's focus on the description here um one of the things that i find striking uh, striking unusual in that first paragraph um is we get a lot of emphasis uh just on their movements um 
which it might sound strange to say that that strikes me as unusual. But what strikes me as unusual is times before, think back to the description of the first stages of their journey when they were going into Holland, right? The, the part of their journey leading up to the genocide of crows, for instance. Rarely did we get a paragraph that just described their actions, right? They did this, and then they did that, and then they did this other thing, right? Usually what we get is description of the surroundings, right? Like we, we know that they're marching south, but what the prose emphasizes, right? What Tolkien's sentences emphasize is like the wind that comes in from the east, right? Um, and their feeling of, uh, of chill, their feeling of oppression, that sense that they're not even moving, right? Um, all of those things. Like they're, they're, we get some of their impressions, we get a lot of their sensations, and we get a lot of um, not talk about them, but talk about the land around them, which has this, which which seems designed to to create in us the same impressions that it was creating on the hobbits as well. Um, now, here, um, we get a lot of emphasis on their actions. They trudged doggedly along the winding track for many miles. After a brief halt, they went on again. Um, their path lay in a deep trough of land. They could see only the higher shelves. So like what they can see, where they're going and what they can see. At length, they came to a sharp bend. Um, rounding the corner, they saw before them a low cliff. Um, it's, I mean, again, I'm not saying this is unique, but it seems to me um, the focus is not on their surroundings. This is like head down focused on, um, again, if in as much as we are being brought into the experience, and this has been what I think we've seen throughout the journey, us being as readers brought into the experience of the hobbits, right? The experience that I, it seems like we're being brought into is mostly, yes, April, exactly, uh, one foot in front of the other. Um, a kind of a head down focus on uh, on continuing to move, on the progress that they're making. Um, them trudging doggedly along the rough and winding track for many miles. The only description we get there, right, is a description of their movement, trudged doggedly, right? And then a description of the track, that it's rough and winding. Again, they're head down focused on the track for many miles, right? Um, and we get no description of the land around them. They're not looking around, right? They're not receiving impressions from the land around them. They're just, uh, just, but we know the track is rough and winding, right? Um, other than that, we're focused on them trudging doggedly, um, for many miles. Um, the opening is just about how, telling us how they feel, that they're foot sore and tired. Right, setting the stage for um, for uh, for them to be for this sort of focus, uh, sort of focus on themselves. Um, now, oh, you guys are making so many really interesting observations. Um, 
another really fun thing uh, who was just talking about the personification that we get because I agree this is a really that's a really um, uh, yes uh, Gildalowin yes there you go thanks um, lots of personification that's the other thing that we get right the sun turned from the noon and began to go west uh, turned from the noon is really interesting right like the sun is making a, a deliberate movement it's not just a thing that happens right um, the sun began to go west is a really interesting way to describe that um, it does seem I mean they're very keenly aware of the time we, we, we saw that before right um, but as they're as they're trudging along right covering the miles trying to get to the walls and the cliff uh, before dark before the wolves come after them um, they're racing the sun though they're going in the opposite direction of the sun right um, and yes that uh, it's 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 the verb turned that I find so striking there you don't normally I mean that that seems an unusual way to think about it right turned from the noon and began to go west as if noon is a place it goes and hangs out for a while and then what it 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 I mean it turns I guess it you know begins to come downwards um, but um, uh, but it's a it's a strange and then yes why the noon um, well noon is just a time of day the noon is where the sun goes in the middle of the day right turn from the noon meaning where the sun is at noon right uh, turned from that really high up position where it was I think it, it's emphasizing exactly the noon position that's right that's right um, I, I didn't even really notice the definite article after the verb turned right because um, yeah if you don't use the definite article it just sounds like a time of day right but it's not turning from the time of day it's turning from the place where it is and where is it it was at the noon um, uh, it, doesn't it make it sound almost like um, uh, almost like a, the sun is making a decision right um, like the sun also has had a brief halt and a hasty meal up at the noon and now it's uh it's it's gonna turn and begin to go west just as they are continuing east right um, this sense of them and the sun going in opposite directions I think is what's really fun there the sun's not conspiring against them remember the, Legolas was gonna go fetch the sun to save them on Karathras so the sun she's their ally but um, but they're they're going they're going in opposite directions um, it's um, it's not a good um, it's not a good thing man little room Johnny that's a really good observation um, why isn't sun capitalized here that is surprising yeah that's still still waiting for somebody to do a moot presentation on that the capitalization 
when sun and moon is capitalized and when it's not in the Fellowship of the Ring. See, what you could do, I give you permission. If somebody wanted to do a moot presentation on this, all you got to do, just collect the data. You don't have to have a brilliant theory as to why it happened. Just present the data and then we'll talk about it. We'll see if what we can figure out um, in discussion afterwards, right? Um, let's, uh, let's see what we can come up with together. But if somebody wanted to just bring that together and put it out there, there's a whole bunch of these things that we have mentioned or talked about that it would be really, really, really fun uh, to, to look at there. Um, no, um, uh, the Digital Tolkien Project, I don't think does distinguish. I'd have to check. I'd have to check. Um, yeah, um, but, um, oh, Ambrosius, I, I don't know for sure if Tolkien ever fought his editors over the sun's capitalization, but I'd guess he did. Um, I don't know how different it was, his publishing experience, um, in the Fellowship of the Ring, like, you know, in the, in the, the Lord of the Rings compared to The Hobbit, um, and it was not even, it wasn't Alan and Unwin, the English publishers, that he was fighting with. It was Houghton Mifflin. It was the American publishers who kept wanting to correct him. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's changed by the time we get to the, to the Lord of the Rings or not. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah. It would be fun to see the trends there. Um, all right. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, Gildalwin, that's interesting. Gildalwin says, I find it interesting that he said from the noon, but did not say to the West which would strike me as a nice parallel. Yes. Um, well, now, that would be saying something rather different, wouldn't it? Um, if you're going to the West, then we know where you're headed, right? And I guess, mythologically, we do know that the sun is headed in, that, in the general direction of the West, right? Um, but, um, but there, the emphasis is definitely not on the de ultimate destination of the sun it's on the direction the sun is going, which, again, reminds us that they are going in the opposite direction uh, of, uh, of the sun. Um, okay. Um, oh, Kendall's a totally geocentric view, just like we always have, right? I mean, modern people are real snooty about that kind of thing. I'm, that is, they really patronize medieval people who had it in the geocentric worldview, but we still talk that way, right? I mean, I don't want to hear anybody get all snooty when they still talk about sunrise and sunset, right? Um, I mean, as long as you're still using the fundamental metaphors of the geocentric universe, don't patronize it, um, more or less, my public service announcement on that score. Um, but you're right, Kendall, there is a, certainly uh, an unapologetic geocentric view uh, uh, there. Um, uh, yep, yep. Um, 
Uh, okay. Um, but the personification isn't just on the sun and its actions. It's also on the mountains. Before them, the mountains frowned. But their path lay in a deep trough of land, and they could see only the higher shoulders and the far eastward peaks. What I like about this... Well, I agree with several of you who were talking about um, um, the phrase trough of land, which is a really uh, nice image. Um, and I, I, one of you I saw briefly um, picked up very interestingly on the, the, the sound connection, right? Thinking about the path. But they trudged doggedly along the rough and winding track, we're told. Um, and then their path lay in a, deep, in a deep trough of land. The connection between rough and trough um, is I, that's, I, that, that, that is very interesting. Um, we've seen him use alliteration. We haven't seen him use rhyme in that way before. I, I, I do almost wonder in the description of the path. Both are describing their path, right? If the word trough was suggested by the the rough uh, track that he had already um, um, he had already been pointing to, um, but what I love about the personification of the mountains here, before them the mountains frowned, but their path lay in a deep trough of land, and they could see only the higher shoulders and the far eastward peaks. So there are a couple things here. Notice the mountains frowning in front of them. They can't see the mountains. So how do they know that the mountains are frowning? They assume the mountains are frowning, right? They seem to have the general impression that the mountains are frowning. Exactly, Jackie. It's a whole vibe, right? That does seem to be... That does seem to be the thing. Um, but the, the, what I love about... And there are two things that I love about this, right? One is that um, the sense that as they're going through this valley, it's like they're hiding from the mountains. Like, let's hope the mountains don't see us. Um, since we're in this deep trough of land, we can only be spotted by the far eastward peaks. And fortunately, they're too far away to do us any mischief, right? Um, and I agree, if you're judging by Karathras, you know, you could be forgiven for assuming that the mountains are frowning. Um, but, um, but anyway, I, I, I think it's, um, I think exactly as, as Eric is, uh, summarizing it, the sentence is basically saying the mountains frowned, but they couldn't see this, <laughs> right? Yeah, like it's, we're, we're being told what the mountains are doing, even though the characters can't actually see it. Um, it is, Jackie, as you said, a whole vibe, right? And of course, one of the things that this draws attention to is the fact that personification of this kind is always a sort of projection, right? I mean, okay. I say projection. Um, Karathras was more than mere projection, right? I mean, uh, if you're anthropomorphizing um, Karathras, there's maybe a bit more to it than simply, uh, you know, projecting how the land makes you feel back onto the land, right? Um, but, um, 
but a lot of it is, and we've seen that kind of thing, right? You know, that a lot of the landscape description, when we look at it carefully, tells us a lot about how the characters are feeling and what they're thinking. Um, Tolkien doesn't often just tell us that. Um, you know, a good writer shows you and doesn't just tell you. And that's what Tolkien does. A lot of his landscape description is showing us how people are thinking um, and what they're feeling. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, sort of inducing us to feel um, very similarly, right? Um, so the idea of the frowning mountains is normally would probably be mostly projection, right? That is, when you say the mountains frown, you mean that that's like they affect you in a way that makes you feel like they're, you know, you look at them and feel, you know, you are made to feel when you look at the mountains in the way that you feel when someone, probably someone larger than you is frowning down upon you, right? Um, uh, so, again, a lot of personification works that way. Like, it's one of the, it's one of the purposes of personification. Um, and here that seems more transparent than usual, because what it is certainly not is an attempt to describe what they physically see, right? They don't see the mountains. <laughs> they just, they just, um, they just know that they're there and they assume that they are affecting them in a frowning <laughs> way, right? Um, they can feel the glare of the mountain's disapproval. And again, they can certainly be forgiven for uh, leaping to such a conclusion under the, uh, under the circumstances. Yes, they're spiritually frowning, Drowsnake. I think that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, someone, uh, Matt, I think you were mentioning that the... Um, the mountains in question, the frowning mountains, are the ones that Gimli was waxing poetic about earlier on, right? Um, and this, I think, is another little reminder that the perspective that we're getting here, that Gimli is having a very different day than the rest of them are having, right? We saw that last time um, in that second passage with uh, the enthusiasm of Gimli running on ahead, right? Um, uh, Gimli, I think, would not describe things this way at all. Um, and that's a fun reminder all by itself. Again, a fun reminder that what we're getting is not just like um, a totally objective description of the landscape, right? What we're getting is the landscape as filtered through the experiences that the hobbits were having at that time, specifically. This is definitely not um, Gimli's journal entry is going to look so much different from this um, if we were if we were able um, if we were able to read that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, and of course, by the way, the reference to the higher shoulders of the mountains. 
um, much like the knees of Karathras that we got before. Um, uh, it, it's um, uh, it's fairly I mean, from foothills, you know, on up. Um, that kind of human body parallel with mountains is not unusual, but it certainly augments the uh, personification of uh, of the frowning mountains here. Um, now, notice what gets um, personified in the next paragraph. At length they came to a sharp bend. There the road, which had been veering southwards between the brink of the channel and a steep fall of the land to their left, turned and went due east again. Notice that here, um, uh, notice that here it's the road that's heading off. And notice the parallel turned and went due east again just as the sun turned from the noon and began to go west. Notice there, in this, in the first paragraph, we have our attention drawn to the sun and the sun's apparently deliberately chosen actions, right? And in the second paragraph, we get the road turning, the road taking them east, right? They're following the road. Um, the road, of course, which may sweep you off to... I mean, we're familiar with this kind of personification of the road from Bilbo's song way back at the very beginning of the book, right? Um, but that deliberate parallel or sort of anti-parallel with the sun, right, turned and went due east again. Um, uh, it, to me, it makes the, that, the use of the verb turned for the sun in the previous paragraph even more conspicuous. Um... Yeah, and no, east is not capitalized here, Rowan. It's just the direction, east. Just as the sun began to go west, the road goes went due east again. Um, rounding the corner, they saw before them a low cliff, some five fathoms high, with a broken and jagged top. Over it, a trickling water dripped through a wide cleft, that seemed to have been carved out by a fall that had once been strong and full. Um, oh, that's great, Sphinx. Sphinx says that Gimli is the one following the path with eager feet, uh, whereas the others are following the road with weary feet right now. You were exactly correct there. Yeah, that's great. I wasn't even thinking of that parallel. That's, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> yes, and Sphinx then says, uh, again, uh, again with the, um, uh, with the articles, right? Oh, yeah, sorry, that, that said, Abelard is referring to the two different versions of the, of the road poem, right? Bilbo's version, which has pursuing it with eager feet, and Frodo's version, which has pursuing it with weary feet. Yeah, we see them, we see them both here, depending on who it is. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, Sphinx was saying again with the articles, um, a trickling water, um, just as noon, you're not, you don't normally see a definite article in front of the word noon, so you don't often see an indefinite article before the word water. A water dripped. 
that's not, a, of course, an, un, an absolutely unknown construction, but it is certainly one that you don't come across every single day. A water dripped. Over it, a water dripped. Um, and the emphasis there, I think, um, by calling it a water, it emphasizes um, that he... Um, he can't call it anything else. It's, it's not a river. It's not even a stream. It's, um, it's just a water, right? There's, there's water there, right? Um, and he doesn't just say water. He could, could say over it trickling water dripped, right? It's, it's, it is in a riverbed, right? So there's something there. The river's not 100% gone, but it's just kind of a leak, right, instead of the regular flow. So there's a flow. There's a regular flow. It's not just there happens to be some water there, right? It's still a, well, it's not a river. It's not a stream. It's, it's not a brook. It's just kind of a, a water, right? But there is a water trickling, Right, the faintest possible remnant of the river that was there before. Um, notice uh, through a wide cleft that seemed to have been carved out by a fall that had once been strong and full. It's not a fall anymore, it's just a trickling water. Right, those, that, those are the parallel phrases. A water and a fall, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, Gogo Eddie, I think that's another good way to think about it, too. Um, um, it's, um, <laughs> by the way, Nicole, I, I, your screen name, um, since I've been trying so hard to get better at pronouncing, to get better about pronouncing Gilgalad's name properly instead of pronouncing it incorrectly as I've done all my life, um, I now feel like I have to call you like Gilgalady or something, which doesn't really make any sense. Um, but anyway, um, okay. Um, Thank you for pointing out the um, the alliteration, Eric. You're right. We get the five fathoms. The cliff is five fathoms high, right? It's five fathoms high. Uh, and that those Fs in five fathoms get picked up again, interestingly, by the word fall and the word full at the end. Uh, carved out by a fall that had once been strong and full. So the, this five-fathom cliff once featured a full fall, um, but now the fall has faltered, and all that remains are the drips, right? 
The fo and now it has fallen silent. Thank you, Appelard. Yes, it has failed. It has failed and fallen silent. Uh, thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, but hang on a second. I also saw. Some, well, no. Hang on. Let's let's look at that. The. Um, I think that that's one of the places where the the effect of the alliteration is to some extent onomatopoetic, or in this case, it's um, uh, ironic, ironically non-onomatopoetic, like the, the fricative F sound, right? If you repeat F lots of times, right, with the, the, the five fathom cliff that featured the full fall, um, all of those Fs imitate the sound right of the of the rushing water that should be there, but isn't, right? Um, and um, so I think that's that's really, whereas like the P's in drip, um, drip of course is almost an is a really. A, a pretty onomatopoetic word in English, right? Drip is pretty much the sound that that makes, that drips make, right? Um, so you've got the drip. That's the actual sound that they're hearing, right? They're hearing, they're hearing plosive P sounds of dripping water, right? The tinkling sound of dripping water. Um, but what the words that are framing that whole description are the... Um, um, are the F's. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's it's non-automatopoetic. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you, put, if you make that as one word, it's even more fun. Um, okay. But let's, let's think more about the topography here. Because some, some of you are confused, so let's make sure to think it through here carefully. Okay, they came to a sharp bend in the road. There the road, which had been veering southwards towards the brink of the channel. The brink of the channel. So remember, they've been going along the, the dried riverbed, which was a channel in the stone. So on their right-hand side has been the channel, the dry channel of the river, right? With the road going along on the left of that channel. So that's what he's talking about with the brink of the channel. So um, the road had been veering southwards between the brink of the channel and a steep fall of the land to the left. Um, does that mean it falls down or like a cliffside that falls down to where the path was. Which direction are we falling? Yeah, is it a is it like a promontory with drop-offs on either side? I probably that's what it means, a steep fall of the land to their left so that the road had been veering southwards because the the river turned southwards. So I guess it's on this sort of promontory, right? And then the road turns. Round the corner, they saw before them a low cliff. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, we have to reenact this. Yeah. Um, well, no, it's, well, it's not a gully. It was described as a trough. So if there is a little like promontory that they're on, it's, that is a, um, a, an irregularity of the floor of this canyon that they've been going through. Right. Uh, canyon, probably not the right word because a canyon is usually carved out by a river, right? And they're not in the middle of a canyon exactly. It's a trough. It's a steep valley, right? Not exactly a fjord. Not quite. Um, ravine, maybe? Yeah. Probably ravine, I suppose. See, I'm not... Um, I... We, we, we don't get these. Like, on the East Coast, there are so many words. Like, um, I didn't know what a gulch was, right, until I finally spent some time in Arizona and learned what a gulch was and the difference between, like, a gulch and a wash. And, it, like, I, there are so many words for these, like, things that mountains do. And... Um, uh, and I didn't, I didn't understand any of them. I still don't understand half of them. So I, I don't, I, I don't know what the technical term would be for the trough, which is a metaphor, right? Not a technical term, the deep trough of land. Um, but by the way, this is, um, this is a really, um, this is a really, this is the kind of thing that Tolkien loved, um, Tolkien like collected words like this. Uh, a quick example, of course, is the word ayat, e y. Uh, how does he spell it? E y, e y o t. Yeah, e y o t. Um, and th this was memorable because there was a, there was a critic uh, when the Lord of the Rings came out. When the Fellowship of the Ring came out, there was a critic who basically was saying like one of the problems with this book is that the language is so pretentious, right? Um, you know, like Tolkien can never just call something an island. It has to be an ayat, right? Um, basically, she was accusing him of just like reaching for obscure words to make it sound archaic and cool um, instead of just using like a, a natural English word. And, of course, Tolkien's point is he was being precise. He decided that an ayat is um, like it, there's not a clear definition for ayat, but he decided this is what you can do if you are a philologist um, and perhaps like having once been on the staff of the OED helps too. He decided that an ayat was an island in a river which is sometimes underwater and sometimes not. So if it's a permanent island, it's not an ayat. So if you're saying it's an ayat, then you're saying it's sometimes submerged. And so therefore you're on kind of tenuous ground, depending like if the river's going to flood, it could sweep you away. Right. Um, uh, anyway. Yeah. So uh, uh, that's. Um, and he like needless to say, responded to this critic and explained what an eye it was and why he was using that and why it makes a difference. Um, so anyway, if like that, that's what it, that's all this, you know, what all of this, this like trying to figure out the, what, what would be the proper word to describe this thing, uh, 
topographically that Tolkien has metaphorically compared to a trough. Um, I don't really know exactly what the correct what the correct thing would be. Um, I think it's um, um, uh, I think it's uh, well, it could be a valley. It could be a ravine. I don't know. Um, but, um, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, Gandalf talks about the valley, but he refers to the valley as the, the shallow basin that's going to be up above it. Um, it might be a dale. Yeah, it's a river valley without its river. I guess valley is safe enough, right? Probably a valley. So, but valleys can have irregularities in them, right? Um, it is a little bit weird. The steep fall of land to the left is a little bit hard to understand. Mostly because normally, for good reasons, in a river valley, the river is at the lowest point, right? Like, it's kind of like how... Um, how gravity works, right? So the idea of having a river and then a bank next to the river, right? So the river's in a little um, uh, ch channel, right? The river's in a channel, and then there's the higher bank. And then on the other side of the bank, there's a fall, right? So what, does it go down lower than the river? In which case, why has the river not found that, right? Um... Yeah, Abuard, that's exactly your question. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Um, I don't know. I don't. I, I can't understand that. That's why I was wondering. Well, it's just a steep fall of the land to the left. From their position, if it were a cliff, it would be going up. But yeah, I'm wondering if that's where the idiosyncrasy is here. Because, of course, it would make all kinds of sense, um, especially since um, the metaphor, the trough metaphor, right, that he was using in paragraph one about this whole valley um, suggests steep sides and a narrow bottom, right? Not like a rounded bowl, but something more abrupt, right? Um, and so if what was off on their left as they're going through the trough with the river channel on their right were to be a cliff, you know, that rises, if not, you know, sheerly up, but even roughly up, you'd think it would be, um, that that's what you would expect to find over there would be a cliff, right? Um... So, yeah, Gildalo, and that's exactly it, as opposed to a steep rise of the land, right, from their point of view. But I wonder about the point of view. That, again, that seems to me, as I said, that seems to me the, uh, the critical point, right? Um, is that, in fact, what's happening there? Uh
what point of view is the trough being described from? If it's being described from the point of view of a hobbit standing on the road, you'd think it would talk about the land, you know, rising or leaping upwards, right? If it were a cliff. Um, but, um, yeah, Bjorning, that's exactly it. If it doesn't fall away from them, but it falls toward them. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. The perspective there is kind of looking top down. Like a description which from the point of view, you know, from the frame of reference of the description, from up there you can see the frowning mountains in the distance. They can't see it down in the valley, right? But from the, like, you know, description drone that's hovering above them... um, from there, they can. From there, you know, the drone can see the frowning mountains, um, and from its point of view, it's a steep fall of the land to their left, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think his illustration of the gates of Moria is going to help in the least bit because the part, the land that we're trying to figure out here, the land he's describing will be the land that is directly behind the point of view of that painting, basically. So, yeah, it's not going to help. Um, yeah. Um, I'm inclined to think, of the two things, that is, is it a cliff rising up from the, you know, the floor of the trough there, or is there a a further ravine that goes deeper down. Of those two things, there's no question which one makes more sense. Which one fits the description, the general description he already gave of a trough of land. right? A deep trough of land um, that's shielding the mountains from them right now. Clearly, cliff rather than ravine is what fits the description better. And if so, if we proceed on that basis, then the only question is, why does he call it a fall? And the answer is... Or rather, not why, but again, I always do that. I always get tr- sucked into asking the question in why form, which is always misleading. Um, the effect of calling it a fall, if it is indeed a cliff, is to remove us from the physical perspective of the hobbits, which, again, as I was pointing out, we already were in the previous paragraph. This whole... Um, and that's really interesting... It's like the hobbits themselves are staring at the path, are staring at the ground, and they're not looking around them. So the description is looking down on them looking down, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um... Maybe, okay, maybe what he's, the reason he calls it a steep fall of the land is that he's not, in fact, imagining a cliff. So what's on their left is not a cliff face. It's a slope. It might be a steep and rugged slope, but it's not a cliff. 
That's what I think. That's what I think. Um, with Rockfall at the bottom? Yes. Yes. Probably. Almost certainly. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the waterfall, Maureen. Um, I'm not talking about what's in front of them. I'm talking about what's off to their left-hand side. What he describes as a steep fall of the land to the left. Um, yeah, I think it is from their perspective a rise of the land. But he wants to describe that efficiently. And he's describing it as a fall because that's what it looks like. You can see the slope of the land probably with um, um, uh, yeah yeah um, no I don't think I am convinced by a fall of the land like a ravine to their left which is just smaller than the river channel If it's shallower than the river channel, I can't see calling it steep. Steep suggests depth, right? Down or up, it suggests depth. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Bjorning is giving us uh, Karen Winfonstad here. Um, yes, the depiction. Of course, remember what you're seeing there is Fonstad's attempt to do, as an excellent cartographer, exactly what we're doing right now. Um, Bjorning, I'm, I, I, I think that's Fonstad. Isn't is that? Isn't that what, what we're looking at there? The Atlas of Middle Earth? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, yes. Okay. I think it's the land rising to their left. But it's described as a fall because that's its primary characteristic. That is rubble at the bottom. Um, a, not a cliff, but a slope, but a steep slope. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, the brink of the channel means the top edge, I think, of the river channel on their right. Um, of course, we also can't ignore the fact that there's another strong temptation for Tolkien to use the word fall to describe the land to the left. And that is that they're about to see a fall of a different kind in front of them, right? Um, a fall that had once been strong and full. Um, the land is falling down towards them. The 
uh, you know, the land looks like it has fallen down up on their left. The water used to be falling down in front of them, but now isn't anymore, right? Um, yeah. The land is falling and the water is not. Right? Yeah, it is. That's exactly it, Eric. He, he uses the word fall twice in this paragraph, right? The land is falling, but the water is not. That's not how it's supposed to work, right? Um, there's something unnatural. The fall was once full, and it now no longer falls. And the land has fallen off on the edge. And that idea of a, a fall of the land using the word fall as a noun, but of course it's a noun which suggests a verb, right? Um, and remember, the whole question is, has the land changed? Is the land changing? Is the land working against them? What has happened here in the land? Um, and uh, um, so I think that's a cliff or a wall isn't um, dynamic, right? Doesn't change. Um, a fall of the land indicates that there was a change, right? It used to be what something else, and now it has fallen. Um, yeah, uh, Abelard. I don't think it's artificial. I don't. Um, could would this place have been engineered by the elves and the dwarves before? Yeah, for sure. But I think what is being described, the reason, again, the reason it's being called a fall of the land is that the land has fallen, presumably in comparatively recent, that is, compared to the thousands of years uh, that have passed since that road was made. Um, again, the land is changing. The land has changed. They are passing by evidence of a change to the topography that may be a couple hundred years old and they are approaching a change to the topography which is only dozens of years old right um exactly like rock fall the word if you come to a rock fall it doesn't mean a decline in the rock but the rocks have fallen that's exactly how i think he's using the word fall there um yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yes, I think that's what's happening there. But notice again some of the sort of problems that are created here. Problems in, um, I, I think Tolkien has sacrificed clarity of description for the sake of establishing these kinds of connections, that is, like, between the wall of the valley and the waterfall up above, um, the kind of uncertainty, the kind of mystery of, like, what is happening, how, is the land how has the land changed, um, when did the land change, why did the land change, and is it going to do it again? Um, all of those things, I think, are... Um, uh, and, yeah, he's confusing it with his metaphors. He is. I agree. I agree. Um, it, it just, it shows you there's something he's going for here other than clarity of physical description, right? 
of like visual description here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now to Gandalf, we're running late. Um, got through two whole slides last time. Uh, I'm struggling with one here this week. Um, indeed, things have changed, but there is no mistaking the place. There is all there is all that remains of the stair falls. So this was a waterfall. It's not just a fall that had once been strong and full. This is a named waterfall, right? It was Gandalf knows what it was called. If I remember right, there was a flight of steps cut in the rock at their side, but the main road wound away left and climbed with several loops up to the level ground at the top. There used to be a shallow valley beyond the falls, right up to the walls of Moria, and the Saranon flowed through it with a road beside it. Let us go and see what things are like now. That last sentence from Gandalf. Um, sounds more cheerful than he's been. Right? Um, we are late, remember, is how he ended his last speech. Uh, about their progress. This is sounds much more casual. Let us go and see what things are like now. Um, we don't know exactly when Gandalf was last here. It was clearly decades ago. As we know, the water has been changed. Well, we will know before too much longer that the water was changed before, while Balin was still here. Um, so, yeah, he hasn't been here since then, presumably. Um, yeah. Um, now, I agree... It's ominous a little bit. Let us go and see what things are like now. Um, but, but I don't know. Um, it still doesn't seem, even the fact that he's going on like this, right? If I remember right, there was a flight of steps. Like, th remember, this is exactly what Gandalf wasn't doing before. He wasn't talking like this. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's an acknowledgement of the ominousness, right? We don't know what we're going to find. Something happened to the river. We don't know what it was that happened to the river. And it could be bad. We don't know. It could be bad. Um, But let us go and see what things are like now. I mean, if you wanted to sound ominous, like if you wanted to be foreboding, right? If you wanted to deliver a line, you know, which might be accompanied by a, you know, ominous and suspenseful stinger uh, in the in the soundtrack, right? Um, you probably wouldn't say it like that, right? Um let us go and see what things are like now, right? I mean, you could say, like, the surrounding flowed through it with a road beside it. You know, um, 
but what has happened to the water? Da-da! Right? I mean, there are any number of ways that you can, uh, that you could be more, um, more ominous than that. This is pretty cheerful, I think. Um, yeah, Gildalowin, you're right. Even a subtle change like, we had better go and see what things are like now would be much more ominous than, let us go and see. It's like, hey, um, won't that be fun? Right? Um, yeah, yeah, it does sound like a fun field trip. Um, let us go and see what things are like now. I take this, again, the whole thing, but especially the ending, as another attempt by Gandalf to do what we've seen him do many times before in these last couple chapters, that is trying to kind of manage the mood and morale of the group. Um, and, um, and yes, I do think that he is recovering. Um, he was, he was pretty seriously worried when they couldn't find the Saranan and it looked like they might end up stuck in the wilderness when the wolves came back that night. Right. Um, uh, he, he was exactly not chatty like this. Now he's chatty and he's, let us go and see. Right. Um, This is the second paragraph in a row that uses the word falls twice. Ah, oh, right, in the name. Sorry, I wasn't seeing the second one because, of course, the capital letter threw me off. Stair falls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yes. Well, that technically counts, but as it's part of the name. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it is, uh, Amore, you think it's a little conspicuous for Gandalf to be uh, using the word fall to a, you better be careful, Gandalf. You don't want to use words of ill omen, right? If you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, and notice on the subject of like being cheerful, he is pointing out his uh, memories, right? If I remember right. If I remember right, there should be two ways to get up there. We can choose. Right? Do we want to take the steps? Do we want to go by the loopy trail? You know, this is totally not going to be a problem. I've got this handled. I am the leader of this expedition. I was having a hard time finding the river, but now I know exactly where we are and I can tell you exactly what we can probably expect. Right. Um, that's, uh, that's, and I agree. Go, go later. There's a certain, um, qualification there, right? If he remembers, right. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yep. Uh, I do think he's, lightening the mood a little bit. Indeed, things have changed. He's acknowledging the ominousness, right? Um, the uncertainty that they've all been in and that clearly they're still struggling with. The, uh, <laughs> the ominosity. <laughs> yes, the ominosity. Exactly. Um, 
We don't have a noun for that, do we? A noun form of ominous? I mean, omen, I guess, technically. <laughs> Ominousness? Oh, that is so boring. Um, if you, I mean, N-E-S-S is what you do in English if you can't think of any possible other way to make a noun out of it, right? Um, it's um, uh, adding N-E-S-S in order to make a noun is almost as boring as weak verbs, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's always cooler to do it otherwise. Um, ominosity. I like it. I like it. Um, <laughs> ominous, uh, uh, ominous. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce that. It's like omniscience, but omnis, uh, 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 omniscience. I don't even know. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, ominosity. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> okay. Anyway, all right. Um, uh, I think that was all that I wanted to say about that. Um, tune in next week when we will see what things are like now. Tune in next week and uh, let's next week. Let's go and see what things are like now. That's what we'll do next week. All right. Um, thanks, everybody. Don't forget to uh, to fill out the little form. Right. I'll do the I'll do the link again, just to make sure everybody gets the link. Right. Here's the link. Thanks for working through the topography with me today. That was good. Um. There we go. Excellent. So thanks, everybody, for that. And we should be back next week. And I'll tell you more about the Webathon coming up on the 9th of December next week. All right. Thanks, everybody. Um, it's field trip time. Oh, hey, Little Room Johnny. I was wondering if it was your first time. Um, welcome. Glad you could join us. All right. But it's field trip time. We're gonna we're gonna head out. We're gonna go oh hang on, I gotta I gotta do my thing again. So good night to everybody who can't uh, join us for the field trip. I'm just gonna have my traditional uh, redrawing of the screen error. <laughs> How are you, Valori? I'm doing all right. How are you? Excellent. I feel like uh, I feel like we've got a hurry in our exploration of Swanfleet because we need to be done in time to um, get. I guess we still have some time while we try to figure out how to get into the gates of Moria. Yeah, I suppose. But that's a pretty long convo, and not to mention we got our our uh, big beastie in the pond. Right. Exactly. So I think it's um. It's not quite as um, not quite as dire. I mean, my my goal is to time it if possible, 
so that our first trip into our first exploration of Moria is, mm -hmm. you know, when um, you know, they're facing the long dark of Moria after the gates close. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Gildalowen, I was I was kind of trying not to remember the topography that the Lotro people did. Um, but we'll we'll take a look at it. Okay, so we're headed back to Lintrev, which is where we finished last time. Um, All right. Yeah, but I, but I was, I couldn't help but think about it a little bit. About how they depicted the approach. Um, they, um, they don't always do the topography exactly like it's described in the book, but... Um, um, Oh, my mar my marker's at uh, Glen Halleck. Oh, sorry, we yeah, yeah. Are we did different. We're just we're Lin up at Lintrev. It's not too far away. Lintrev. Oh, but I think I need the more? raid invitation again. I, ah, yes. I lost it while I was traveling. Oh, thank you, Kiriano. And welcome. yes, Elros, I agree. Um, it's often hard for them to do justice to the topography because of the scale of things in the game indeed um you know you you like the if they tried to make it look if they tried to make the gully look exactly like it's described in the book then it's gonna be you know like wider than the state of pennsylvania you know um compared <laughs> to the rest of the you know I, I just in scale you know what i mean so like it's it's hard they 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 seem to focus more on sort of general effects than when it comes to topography general effects than um, uh, exact descriptions yeah anyway alright yeah. so we had come up the hill from uh, Glynhelig and we're in Lintrev um, we came up the very steep hill so we're on top of is there still mountain rising up around us a little bit? We've got a little bit of bluff up there, but we're we're more or less at the top of this um, Corey, crest of I hills here. I hate to interrupt you, but we can't see your game on the screen. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to turn that back on. Apologies. Here we are. Um, okay. Sorry. Thank you. I had yeah. uh, forgotten that was still off. Okay. So, um, here, let me dish this. Okay. So up here we get, since we don't have any rising cliff faces, we're getting up here the most normal-looking hobbit settlement that we've seen of the three. Um, what is it called? The one down at the bottom, Klegor. Uh, Klegor had some hobbit holes down in the river valley and stuff, um, but much of it was built on the cliff sides. Mm. Though not quite so thoroughly on like the rocky cliff sides as um, as the other one, Glyn Helig was. Um, but here we're seeing I mean, watchtower over there. Yeah, if it weren't for this, if it weren't for the fact that we knew that we were up on top, basically of a mountain here, Oof. this could look like almost anywhere else in the Shire. Yeah, just the water would take longer to boil. <laughs> right, exactly. You've got these smiles 
set up as just low holes here in the middle of a field. You might find something quite like this in the Yondershire, just as you would find something like that big barn over there, oh. or that like, granary shed over there. Yeah. Look at the circular shape, though. It's not quite a, a warren like like Bag End. Right. Yes, it's not... Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. It is sort of more generally round. It's like, again, like they've made a whole little hillock here in the middle of this field, right out of this house. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like someone saw uh, like a burial mound and said, that'd be a great shape for a house. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and as we were seeing in other places, they're building... Um, uh, almost entirely with brick here. Mm-hmm. Now, mine see, this is really interesting. Wait, sorry, what was that? Mine from the mountain itself, I should think. Yeah, you'd think. You'd think. Um, and now, this house up on the hill here I find interesting. And what I find interesting about it is that it's this is the only place round here, this little hill we're standing on, is the only hill round here that you actually could just build a regular hobbit hole in. But, yeah. they, ha but they haven't done it. Instead, they've made a brick smile on top of the hill, backed up against the cliff, like like in, uh, in, in Glyn Helig. Maybe the ground's too hard. Or not suitable. Yeah, it's possible that it's really rocky ground. I mean, it seems very likely. Um, maybe they tried. That's where we got all the bricks from. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, it also just kind of seems like that's sort of what they do. Again, like, as I was saying last week, it, they, it does seem that, you know, the architecture of the smiles around here suggests that this store community, or these store communities, I should say, um, do seem to sort of remember culture, you know, to have cultural memories of, mm -hmm. you know, holes drilled into the side of hills, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, but they don't actually do it. They still are like it's the aesthetic is still there, but even if they have the opportunity, they're like, no, nah, actually, like brick house backing up against a cliff face. That's how we roll down here in Swanfleet. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's def it's definitely like as long as we're protected, the above ground or underground is 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 neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean here too. Here we get like this is set back against the hill, but even here this does have windows in the back. Yeah, see it does. So it's it's recessed a little bit into the hill, but it's not. I mean, all they had to do was, I mean, they they could have had a legitimate hole in the ground here if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. They just started it a little bit further back, but that's clearly not their goal. I just didn't want to, but also with the circular shape, it's not this like a it's not a warren. It doesn't have the long burrowing mm -hmm. shaft of the other ones. Like if they were aiming for this shape, this doesn't make much sense. The hill wear away, and uh, it would collapse the hill if they tried to make it this shape. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so, but yeah, I think. Because, yeah, I think we're seeing the same, we see the same thing over here. Well, that's the same one. Yeah, no, so we got two, two holes, mm -hmm. or two smiles, rather, 
on top of the hill up here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that it's exactly, Kendall, it would be like in a house on the hill, there lived a store, right? That's that's how it would work yeah. down here. Or up here, I guess. Mm -hmm. We're up pretty high. Um, yeah, so that's... <laughs> again, it does show a, a, a connection, a link back to the older culture. Like their culture, their architecture hasn't completely forgotten it. Is this the whole town? Is there more? Or this is it. This is it, huh? Looks, looks like this is it. Well, there's a big orchard over here. And there's a watch. What In was that, Drew? It's um, there's a watchtower, uh, and I think that might actually lead credence to your theory about angling the trumpets toward the close to bounce off the close, because this one's aimed at the close too. Yeah, they got that big Whoville trumpet on there. Yeah, yeah. I see. see Ooh, this is pointing at the cliffs too. Lots of bees. Multi-lot. Big apiary here. Yep. I mean, this one would reach, like, across the entire town, but it would also yeah. echo off the cliffs. Yeah, yeah, it's got the big rock, it's pointed right at the big rock wall. Yeah, yeah. Over there. Agreed. Yeah, makes perfect sense. As long as they're sure this is a place where there won't be any avalanches in winter. Right, yeah, no, it, we just it would just fill this whole, well, it's not really a valley, it's the top of the mountain, but, but yeah, it would fill this whole, um... Uh, now we got to look up the geographical term for a hill. Yeah, what is this? Is this a saddle? This is not really a saddle because it's only on, on the one side. Anyway, this, um, yeah, for like a big flat park Startment. near the top of a mountain. I don't know exactly what that is either. Elf. <laughs> I don't have Thank words for all, majors handy. <laughs> for all these topo top topographical things. All um, I know is it is not a fjord. No. No, it's definitely not not a fjord. Okay, so we've got all these apple trees, and we've got. They make a lot of cider. And lots of extra flowers over here for the bees. Okay. But the bees love the apples too. What? Where does the road go? The map suggests that there's this whole like weird. Right, it completely disappeared. I guess they don't use it very often. Yeah, so the road vanishes. Why would you want to go down there? There's things down there. And. River. Oh, hang on. According to the some... map, not the mini map, just the map, it continues along here. Yeah, we're more or less there. Oh, look, yeah, here's more town. No, another town. Oh, it's then and wife. Look oh. at where we are. Martalu. Oh my goodness. Well, no wonder there's We're no like path. They all just going straight to the fishing hole. And I'm noticing the same architecture. Yeah. Yes. I did. I did. I did think, but I couldn't remember the word. I couldn't remember uh, Martalu. Uh, I do remember that they were up against the rocks, but not in the rocks. Well, here we are just right smack in the middle of this store village here um, in, and in Wife. I, wow. I feel. Wow. And yep, 
yeah, the whole aesthetic here, the brick houses, how they're set up on hills and not into hills. This one, it's almost completely boxed in. Yeah, this is like a little box canyon, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Again, I can explain why the rangers were completely baffled that anybody would actually live down here. Yeah. See, this is all when you come here from the Anadwyth side. This is it's this whole secret valley feeling, right? Yes. Wow. Okay. Whew. Very interesting. I had no idea. I thought it might connect. I didn't know that they were neighbors. That it was like designed to be just simply an actual extension. Far out. That is so cool. Great continuity, guys. Yeah. And of course, there's a lot of folks who are uh, concerned about the large differential in levels between the two areas. Oh, what level? It's what is it like? Uh, Sixty or something on the other side? Uh, sixty something, yeah. Yeah. Whereas here, what are we at? No, oh, well, that's level eight, right? Okay, of course. <laughs> I forgot it's a starter area. Hey, that's how they learn, okay? Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. But there's an easy uh, way to get now to the secret fishing hole to get the Fisher King or Queen title. Oh yeah, right as, long as, as long as you're fast about it. Wow. Oh. Hey, I, I had a similar thing when I went from, uh, gosh, where was it? Uh, I went too far at the Bree, at, in the in the Lone Lands over that hill, and I suddenly hit some purple people. That was fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I We're remember... Not even the level 55s. I, yeah. I, I remember when I was, uh, yeah, in the Lone Lands, or... No, it wasn't the Lone Lands. It was in... Um, Weather Hills? North Downs. It's what? Oh, North... Yeah, yeah. It was in the North so, Downs, and yeah. I wandered North into Downs. Angmar. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was North End Angmar and then Midwater Marshes right into like um like I think it was an offshoot of Angmar at that one, I forget. Where was it? Anuminous. So, yeah, like I accidentally sort of went into Anuminous or something. Yeah. I can't remember. Ah, I gotta look it up. But yeah, it just suddenly in like, oh my gosh, where am I? And then of course there's the the the, the keg where I froze to death. Right. <laughs> in Right, right in the middle of Furacal. So. Right. Experiences uh, like that are all just part of the fun of an MMO. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But yeah, so, I do think they'd have a little sign up or something, though, like of a, you know, a hobbit in dire distress. Let's ride down to the river crossing. And I know there doesn't Oof, seem to be a milestone down there. That's um, steep. But... Um, So it's the right-hand turn up here, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can tell we're in level eight when the creatures are just labeled bothersome. Bothersome, right? Yes. <laughs> As opposed to dire or blood-stained. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we'll go to the road crossing where I don't think there's a milestone. Um, maybe we'll head up to Klongaren and get the... I assume there's a milestone there. And then we can come back to the road crossing. 
but I'm not seeing, you know, I haven't seen in a while as any ruins. So I didn't see any evidence that there was any non-Hobbit construction or remnants of old non-Hobbit constructions anywhere up there in the mountains. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So the Cardinal engines seem so there's the main road. There's the Gondorian road on the far side of the river. Yeah. Plain to be seen. There was a tower somewhere about. There it is. Okay, and we're headed down towards it. Is this, oh, this is the ford right here? Okay. Oof, there's, there's, uh, that's not Tharbad. That's the other river crossing that we yep. were looking at. Okay. All right. So let's, let's head up to Hlongaran and get the milestone. And then from there, we got to come back down to all these river crossings and see what's going on down here. Okay. Answer seemed to be nothing right there. Again, apart from the road itself, no evidence of anything. Yeah, it's just like the road helped them to get there better. Here we're approaching. We've got that ruin up on the hill. Yeah. We've got the bridges crossing the river. Mm -hmm. Oh, but hang on. Did we miss a turn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the turn right here. Okay, sorry. I missed the turn. Okay. Several of you did not miss the turn, but I missed the turn. Okay. I was looking ahead at the bridges. Didn't notice the turn <laughs> off to the right there. Okay. I'm coming. Here we go. It does make you wonder what kind of rock this is because it really does seem to be a, a stymie, a lot of efforts to build out here. Yeah, and also with the squareness of the boulders sitting around, it looks like it has a you know a strong crystalline structure. Mm -hmm. Iron-based, possibly. Okay, so I'm looking at the towers on the hills over there, which all seem to be very... Ah, there's uh, a tower like ah. that tower that we saw before. Oh, that's we... why we had the Welsh plot in there. Okay, yep, got it. Okay. Got it, got it. <laughs> that makes perfect sense now. All right, okay. Oh, this will be fun. Okay, so we'll take a look at this. We'll go back to the river crossings. Clongaran. All right, this also looks like it has a certain degree of continuity with the. Um, we have little to say to you. With the yeah, well, yeah, I was gonna say with Enidwife in general. Yeah, yeah. Okay, is there a milestone here? It's gotta be, right? Yeah, down by here, down by the docks. Oh, yep, down at the yeah, down by the reedy docks. Okay. Eisengard, it's five. All right, there we go. All right. We will, there we go. So we will start off here. We will look around the town of Hlongaran and uh, then we'll go back and look at these uh, river crossings and stuff. See what we missed down there going around mm -hmm. the other way. Um, then after that, we can look about in the wade water and uh, move towards Western Eregion as we move back towards Eregion and off towards Moria. Okay. Very good. Alright, well this will be cool. I was guessing that this was what that town, this town might be. 
All right. But we will explore more next time. Excellent. See you all next week. Very good. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye now.